Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Expressions Podcast. Um, I'm here today with uh, Conrad Iskra, a very uh, special guest. He's actually a close friend of mine. I met in high school, actually grade nine, would you believe it? Uh, he is super into the arts. He started creatively working um, with you know, drawing and painting. And then from there, um, he studied music production and uh, now he does a mix of a little bit of everything. So I'm really excited to get into this chat today. But before I do that, I'd like to say hi to uh, our co-hosts. So hi, Brian, how's it going? It's awesome, it's awesome. Thank you, uh, Roar, good to see you. Good to see you, Ryan. And Conrad, awesome to meet you. Uh, it's been a fun week. It's been an interesting week. I was just saying how all of us who are working in retail are dealing with the reopening of the world. Um, and it's interesting to see. I'm very pleased to see that the cases of COVID are staying at like zero here in Newmarket, which is really awesome. Super yeah. stoked. I, you know how I watch that like every day. <laughs> so yeah, it was like zero for three days in a row. And then we had five and then it's back to zero. So I'm very excited. Hopefully the world's opening. And when that happens, I imagine... It's going to change for you and your world as well, Conrad. Um, I'm sure the COVID situation has impacted uh, exactly what you do <laughs> in this in, in this day and age. So uh, I'm really anxious to talk to you and find out uh, what's going to change and what has changed for you and uh, how you're dealing with it. Well, first off, uh, thank you for having me on the podcast. Uh, great to be here. Uh, hello, Ryan. Hello, Brian. And uh, great to see you again, Aurora. Yeah, uh, it's and been yeah, fun. let's let's dive into it. <laughs> but before we do that, I also want to say hi to Ryan. How's it going, Ryan? Oh, not bad at all. Happy to be here. Happy to uh, meet Conrad. Get to hear a bit about his story. It's been, uh, as Brian mentioned, a crazy week with us all going back to work in the world of retail. So I'm a little little exhausted, as I think we all are. But uh, this is going to be a great time. I'm going to. Warn everybody now, I have to leave a little bit early for uh, the Habs game. Boo, I know you guys are booing me as it is. <laughs> We're losing listeners. I'm sorry for saying that I was a Habs fan, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I got to cheer on my boys. Got to cheer on my boys. At least you're still able to watch the games. So, you know, some That's of us true. don't really have that luxury anymore. So, <laughs> see, see, I was trying to dance around that, but I, I didn't do a great job. Of that. <laughs> I was going to wear my Leafs shirt today, but I figured I didn't want to rub any more salt in my own wounds. So, I was just <laughs> Amazing, amazing. And uh, sadly, Mark's not with us this week. Uh, he's uh, got a little bit busy with uh, work and some other things. So, Well, he's actually uh, in the area. Um, he's, oh, really? he's on a vacation. So for the past two weeks, he's been in Bradford and uh, he just doesn't have any internet signal. So he can't, Whoa. he doesn't have any bandwidth to join in and do what we're doing. So yeah, he'll be back next week though. Um, so happy to see him next week. But yeah, uh, yeah let's get into it. Uh, Conrad, before we start, I kind of want to get a little sense of what um, it is exactly that you do and how you kind of discovered art. So if, for everybody listening, can you give us a little and bit? And for myself and Brian, too. I'm very curious yeah. on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So currently I'm kind of... Uh wedged in between the administrative world and the creative world. Uh, I've been working as a digital media content creator and also my full-time job is I'm a studio manager at a management company, music management company and a record label. That's impressive. Well, thank you. Very impressive. (laughs) Um, I actually do want to hear a little bit more about the place uh, that you work at. So could you describe a little bit of that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I work for a company called Coalition Music, and uh, mostly we're a music management company. Uh, most of our artists on the roster, I think we have about 20 right now. 
Uh, some acts you may be familiar with, uh, Our Lady Peace, Simple Plan are the bigger ones that put the company's name out there. And nice. right now we're also working with some younger artists. Uh, personal favorite of mine is uh, Scott Hellman. He's kind of a bumping in the pop world right now. So exciting things coming back with uh, touring coming back. <laughs> but as for my personal experience with the company, uh, I started as an intern, as a content creation intern, and they kept me along for a year, just working part-time, random uh, odds and ends, content creation gigs, anything from photography, graphic design, videography. And uh, that segued its way into uh, studio management where uh, the studio manager at the time retired and they offered the position to me seemingly out of the blue and here i am a year later <laughs> uh, so i'm kind of curious on that because was that something that you had planned on when you initially went into it no i had was like being in this position that you're in now no i mean uh my kind of most like recent education is in audio engineering and music production so at the same time i was interning at coalition music i was also interning at uh, one of the bigger studios in toronto Revolution Recording. So I've always wanted to kind of segue into the engineering music production world. And I figured uh, I'd give it a shot to also try the label side of things. Never expected that he'd retire. Kind of just figured I would run a different side of the studios because they were trying to uh, venture into visual content. And now I'm, I'm doing both. It was honestly quite a big surprise. <laughs> That's so cool that awesome. you know you have somebody on one end who's retiring and getting out of the industry, which kind of uh, shows that there's some age involved. <laughs> and then there's you. Uh, you are very young, and they just are trusted you enough to give you that that really important role. So that's got to say a lot for what you've brought to the table in the time you've been there. That's awesome. That's awesome. Good for you. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I definitely do think it is a very big opportunity, and they are very trusting people. But I also think it has a lot to do with uh, a few ideas I've had floating around. Uh, the recording studio business is not as big as it was in the 80s and 90s with the digitization of everything. And uh, this, the downstairs of our building, those three separate recording studios. So they're already kind of edging their way out of the recording business and more into the multidisciplinary business. So I kind of propose, I'm like, hey, okay, let's turn Studio A into a digital media studio, build a psych wall, make it like photo, video content. We have a big space uh, called the chapel, which uh, is a large chapel. The actual building itself used to be a, a schoolhouse, so a Catholic schoolhouse, mad. So that's why we wow. have a chapel that was uh, made into a venue. So I was like, okay, there's live streaming opportunities there down the road. And we could still retain some of our recording capabilities. So this is a location people rent and can come in and use this space? Yes. So we actually recently have been revamping the spaces and rebranding them as a place called Coho, Coalition House. We actually launched today. <laughs> wow. Where, where's it located? It's uh, Victoria Park in Lawrence. So just, just east of the DDP in Lawrence. Nice. Good location. Uh, so if you want, uh, can I share the screen? How does that work? Yeah, here? I just have to do a thing. Oh, yeah, you have to click screen share, choose the one you want to share, and then I will uh, open it up there for you. Oh, share. share screen. And then while she's doing that, I'm also kind of curious. When you were back in high school and you had met Aurora, was that, again, initially your plan was to get into audio engineering? You were following that path at an early age, or when did that kind of kick in? Not at all. Uh, the original 
plan A was going to architecture, but I <laughs> oh wow, so like a complete completely one eighty. Completely one eighty. The plan was going to architecture, but at the time it was right after the uh, big recession, and there wasn't really a construction mar market or industry in Toronto at that time. So I was like, you know what? If I'm gonna go into something that pragmatic that there's not a future in, surprise, surprise, here we are 12 years later. <laughs> and that's completely flipped. But uh, I might as well just pursue my passion. So I actually went to OCAD for fine arts, for painting and photography. It was actually that's much awesome. later in my life that I decided to also pursue this. OCAD's an amazing school, amazing program. Uh, how did it work out for you though? Uh, it's a bit bittersweet. I mean, I'm very grateful for my time there. I spent three years there, uh, pretty much did all my courses up to my thesis. But the painting I did was photorealist painting. And uh, it's not something that's very keenly or fondly looked at in the uh, fine arts community, at least. So a lot of my profs, I had a stern opposition in what I wanted to do for my thesis. And I just dropped out of my thesis year. <laughs> well, good for you though. I mean, you got to stick to your guns. Well, a big thing that we always talk about on the show and my personal uh, motto, I guess you could say, I shoot for me is how important it is to stay true to yourself in your creative uh, creative world. Uh, it's actually kind of the uh, catalyst of our show in general is people who can take their creative passions and turn it into their day-to-day -day lifestyles. And uh, you don't really do that unless you stay true to yourself. So that's definitely something that you have to stick to, right? And that's that's really where you're at right now. Definitely. And you got to make the commitment and no matter what, like for the first two years, I honestly was for a loss of what I want to do, well, year and a half of what I want to do. And then I uh, found audio engineering music production. <laughs> nice. Actually, tonight, um, tonight we're talking now, but what's airing on our episode is a gentleman named Dan Preston, who is also a, a stage manager, a front of house, front of house manager, a tour manager for people like the Trues and um, uh, Big Wreck and other bands. Uh, wow. That that conversation, uh, it, I'm not going to say it's similar because you work in a different capacity with your uh, your talent. Do you actually work side by side? Do you? Um, manage the actual artists like you're saying um some of the simple yes. plan and scott hellman have you met these guys and do you get to interact with them so i do occasionally get to interact with them uh mostly in a content creation capacity not so much in my role as a studio manager but in terms of the actual artist management side uh that would be the actual uh, owners of the company that's uh apart from what i do <laughs> gotcha i actually uh met sean uh, scott hellman uh was photographing for the Vaughn Film Festival, and he was their key pre, uh, musical guest. What a talent, like what an amazing talent. He just got up there and just killed it. Uh, you would think there'd be all kinds of production in, in the recording that makes him sound so good, but he, he gets up there and just naturally does a very good job. I love listening to it. And you always, uh, what I personally really like about, about like at least my experience with him is uh, super charismatic and gives his, his all on stage in terms Absolutely. of the stage presence. <laughs> so true, so true. And he's a Canadian guy too, which is awesome. Yeah. I, yeah, I believe local. so, right? yeah. He's actually in Toronto, yeah. That's right, that's why the VFF would happen. He's great talent. Yeah, I got the chance to beat him that day as well. It was Oh, that's cool. right, you were, you were at that. Yeah, yeah, I was like one of the Henry's guests uh, that day and he was just like getting ready to leave. Um, and uh, I just happened to be in like the atrium 
area where he was leaving. And uh, he was really cool. Like I just said, hi, you know, great performance. You did an awesome job. Uh, I'll check out your stuff. And he was just so nice and like uh, super charismatic. Like, the performance yeah. was great. So I was pretty happy with that. Well, um, yeah, I live in a hole in the ground, so I don't. I don't know who. You know his song. You know. You know at least one of his songs. I guarantee it. Yeah. Uh, so actually, we've got a screen share up right now, correct? Yep. So earlier, yep. I did some flipping through. Uh, uh, just in case anybody who's listening, just to the audio, I did some flipping through um, in the video for a YouTube video of the Coho Creative Space, um, showing the different spaces. Uh, but now I'm actually showcasing a little bit of uh, Conrad's uh, work here. Um, so this first one here, um, Conrad, can you explain to us a little bit about it? Also describe it a bit. <laughs> so the the concept was just to start a series uh, merging photorealism and pop art. And then this particular one, uh, it was kind of just a comment on, I guess, beauty standards in the fashion industry. Very neat. Very neat. And yeah, you get... At first, I was wondering, because I was looking at the... I'm like, I, I feel like I recognize some of the imagery. Obviously, is that the Dolce & Gabbana logo? Yes, it is. Am I right in that? <laughs> yeah, okay. I got one of them. I, <laughs> I feel like I know the bottom one, but I don't know the Target? bottom left. But I... it's oh, No, so, yeah, no, it's bottom left. Target. And then... So, Sorry, Conrad, why don't you explain where you were coming from with this? Yeah. Because uh, I know for people who are just um, listening to this, not uh, actually watching on a YouTube, sometimes it's really hard to decipher if you're just listening. That's all. Fair enough. So this particular image here is uh, a quadriptic, I guess you'd call it. It's uh, four separate panels, and each panel uh, symbolizes different things. Uh, the eye is often seen as kind of like the window to the soul. And then I have uh, in the bottom corner, you have the, the lip and the very different stylistic, I guess, choices. One is a photorealistic eye. One is more so a pop art uh, merge between uh, Roy Lichtenstein and Andy Warhol type lip drawing. And then the, and the other two corners is just uh, Target and uh, Dolce Gabbana. And not necessarily meaning to uh, symbolize anything. It's, it's more so just, uh, I guess, a comment of how we brand ourselves and see ourselves as kind of a reflections of brands and brands become reflections of our own identity. Hmm. But for the most part, this was just a technical exercise. I just wanted to push myself in terms of technique, especially when you look at so, the eye. So where do you find images like that eye in, in the bottom left, the, the mouth? Is that something uh, that so, you would, well, obviously the eye is, I'm not sure if that's a photo you've taken or if that's. Yeah. So these are all painted. Okay. And, and uh, the reference images, oh, wow. I'd, I'd usually take the take myself. So that was uh, loosely based on a reference of my own eye. And then the lips, uh, I found a image from a newspaper magazine, and I altered it, kind of color mapped it, gritted it out, and painted it. That's and obviously, wow. the the, the, that's the logos. Ability. That's that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, his photorealistic painting is amazing. It always has been. Um, the next one you'll see, I. I'm pretty sure you guys would all think this is a photo uh, just by looking at it. Um, I thought the last one was a photo as well. So <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, this one. Didn't you do in high school, Conrad? Or was yeah, it so this one I actually did uh, somewhere around my first year of university. One of the summers off. I'm not sure if it was between high, grade 12 and first year university or between first year university, second year university. 
but I uh, did a photo shoot with a friend of mine, uh, for also from high school. Yes. And I was also, once again, just uh, for me personally, a vindication of what I could do technically and how far I could take my technique. But in terms of commentary, it was pretty much uh, red tape over lips, <laughs> commentary on how sometimes we can't really express our true feelings and the stark contrast of the red being color and everything else being black and white. So this is a, a photograph or a drawing of a photograph? This is a painting. It a is paint? a mixed media painting. It's uh, acrylic I and, it. I it. and oil. <laughs> Amazing. I do not believe you, sir. I do not believe you. That is incredible. I'll, I'll, get, my, I'll get my buddy to pose in front of it. Send me a photo. Yeah. <laughs> Nicely yeah. done. Yeah. Shout out to Yacht. Well <laughs> um, yeah, on this one, um, this is a picture of him. So, so I, I remember back in high school, we had a, a couple artists that I would look at their work and be like, holy moly, these guys are good. It was always very... Um, almost comic-y sometimes, but the the drawing and the creativity is, I always wondered where they get this talent from. So obviously you've been drawing since day one. When did you know that you can actually put something on a piece of paper that was like, I can really do something amazing here? Like, when did you know you had this super talent? I would say, I wouldn't say I had a super talent starting from age five, but I've had a just a voracious passion for drawing stage five, and you couldn't separate me from my sketchbook. Other kids would bring their Game Boys, and don't get me wrong, I, I had a Game Boy. I played my Game Boy here and there, but most places I take a sketchbook and just sketch whatever came to mind or anything I observed, and then kind of just grew from there. I Last guess my week. secret is practice. <laughs> Lots and of it. Uh, our guest last week was Ron Clifford, and he says, uh, uh, do what you cannot help but do. Right? That's how Life he works. keep his passion going. You just do what you cannot help but do. And this is exactly what you're doing. You couldn't help but do it from day one, but you've honed it and you've perfected it and worked at it and taken it to a level that uh, I think is a super talent. So well done. But nice I'm starting work. to see also where the uh, the architecture side came into things. Because clearly to be an architect, I would imagine you to have a certain level of uh, drawing ability. Attention to detail. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would definitely help with this kind of work. And even in <laughs> the, like for that particular painting, like the reason I was able to get so much detail, it's, it's, it's not huge, but it's fairly large. It's two feet by four feet. So it's a plywood panel I painted over. <laughs> and once again, uh, the parallels to architecture that you mentioned, I'd say it's uh, a lot of it was just the process before painting was uh, mapping everything out and gritting it out and drawing it out from photo is mm -hmm. where that plays in. Okay, that's cool. So you, it's not a freehand. Well, I mean, it's freehand because you're, you're obviously drawing it, but it's a lot more involved. I, things you don't think about when somebody's about to be drawing is you sit there and you plan it out and yeah i would not i just sit there and I'm like oh this looks I nice squiggles lines I draw. <laughs> that's why you are where you are and i am where i am <laughs> <laughs> and i like too how aurora is just sitting back looking at the art thinking yeah i knew him way back when <laughs> yeah i actually wanted to share some photos guys um Conrad, I don't know if this is going to be embarrassing at all, but I was in preparation for this. I was going through like old Look at photos the nerves. on Look at the Facebook. Nerves yeah. <laughs> I was going through old photos on Facebook. I also watched the Fusion documentary from high school. Oh, no. 
Um, I'm not going to play that. I'm not going to play that. But that was actually, you know what? Considering it was made in high school, we did a pretty good job. Um, But (laughs) um, yeah, um, I'm going to see if I can share it again here. Some pictures of... I can't tell if Conrad's sweating or not. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm pretty used to being embarrassed on the daily, so... (laughs) I mean, Oh, you're among friends here then. (laughs) It is really not. <laughs> oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is like us when we were in um, high school in the photography class. And I think oh, wow. we were like painting in photography class for no apparent reason. Um, and then there's also, man, I'm just trying to see here. Did that end it? Me closing it? Yeah, yep. I did. Okay. <clears throat> and then... Another one. Yeah, a little bit of a walk down memory lane. This is on a photography field trip that we went on. Elisa took this one of us years ago. Um, I miss that SLR. I miss working with film. (laughs) Well, I mean, if you want a film camera, I've got a ton. So, yeah. Yeah, You can see right behind her even. (laughs) (laughs) I might hit you up on that offer. Yeah. (laughs) Film is actually huge these days. Huge. Yeah, it's incredible how many. Um, I've been with Henry's for film. 15 years now, and I've never seen film more popular. And it's all the digital, dispo- not digital, it's all the disposable cameras too, which is yeah. really weird. It is kind of weird, but I think it's that nostalgia. People don't necessarily maybe want to learn about photography, but they want to have the nostalgia of, you know, the I was old. Say, it sounds like it might be like a craze. Could be. Like, old, like a craze for, uh, for old film, and hopefully it lasts. <laughs> Hey, as long as you're creating, right? There's no wrong way yeah. to make art is how I'm seeing it. Uh, for a while, it kind of confused me. I was like, what is wrong with all these people shooting film? Like, it's so much easier. But you know what? There's no wrong way to do it. So Definitely. as long as you're making art. Exactly. Exactly. So Aurora? Yeah. Um, so I was just curious a little bit about how um, you kind of got in to art specifically? Because I know um, in the notes, uh, you mentioned that your family has all been um, kind of not in the arts. Um, So can you describe a little bit about maybe your family and um, how that played into, uh, I guess, you kind of discovering you wanted to do art as a career and how that kind of changed things? So I would say, well, first off, just a little background on my family. Uh, they're very much in the science STEM side of things. Uh, my dad is uh, in aerospace. Oh, I believe uh, he al- he always uh, touts that as proudest accomplishment. He's, he has a piece of him in space. Uh, he worked on the Canada arm. <laughs> Neat. So I have uh, big, big shoes to fill. I'd my be mom proud was of that, uh, in in the medical medical field, uh, not doctor, but she was a nursing professor back uh, where she's from, from Poland and a nurse here when when she came over to Canada. So I've always been kind of groomed to be in the STEM field, but my parents have also always had a healthy appreciation for it. They're actually the ones who always introduced me and took me to museums. And that was all fine and dandy until I decided to uh, pursue it. (laughs) (laughs) Do you feel that part of like your your success now might be owed to a degree of pressure. Not that you, your parents made you feel that, but that you might have put on yourself, being seeing that you had such a successful family. Absolutely, I think uh, the first first amount of pressure is just uh, 
of pressure being first generation to some extent. It's like, I feel mm -hmm. very blessed and lucky that if all hell breaks loose, if everything goes wrong, I can technically, not that I will, not that I want to, go crawling back on my, my knees to my parents and be like, hey, I have a place to go to. And I just had, of how old, sorry, I've always had such a healthy respect for the fact that they kind of just were trailblazers. They came here, you know, with the proverbial $5 in their park pocket, worked uh, whatever dead end, uh, you know, cleaning, kitchen, kitchen prep jobs until they could find jobs in their field. And I think that's always kind of inspired me to make my own path, even though I already had somewhat of a path laid out for me. So yes, yeah, so any, any pressure you might've put on yourself came from a motivation that you felt from your parents and an inspiration. Absolutely. Yeah. That's cool. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> it's, it's incredible to hear those stories because you don't, you don't hear that too often where you've got, you know, both parents have come from like have immigrated and have had created such successful lives for themselves. So. And you're only, I guess that's second generation in Canada, I guess that would be. So it's not like, I mean, my family's from Hungary and Europe and so on. And it would be very easy for me to fall back and say, oh, well, I didn't have these opportunities or that opportunity, but we're talking generations down when it gets to me, you're, mm -hmm. you're right there. So good for you for uh, taking those opportunities for yourself for doing that. I was really interested. One of the questions we ask in our email that we sent out to you is, uh, is your career path different than your creative path? And I like your answer. It's yes and no. Uh, maybe you can kind of elaborate on that a little bit. How would your career path be different than your creative path or are, how, how are they the same? So yes, no, because first off of uh, what I would ideally be doing right now is a hit making record producer. <laughs> so that, that would be the, the dream. Uh, I'd be making number one hits and that's kind of my creative path. What I really draw most enjoyment from is sitting in front of a uh, digital audio workstation with my headphones on mouse in hand or musical instrument in hand and recording things, producing producing things, making tracks for people or for myself. Uh, however, that's not where I make the most of my income from. However, I do occasionally do it for professional artists, but I am within the same industry and I kind of would say I'm blessed to be in this industry at my age, especially where I am at my age. And I kind of find everything ties together. Like, obviously, I never went into the company I'm working with right now thinking, oh, I'm going to be a record producer, a studio manager. I went in as a content creator. I was making posters, little announcement banners. It's like, oh, buy tickets here. Here's click this, you know, little swipe up widgets and pieces of digital content. And yet it's slowly turning into, you know, 3 a.m. music video shoots or I actually had the opportunity to go on tour with one of our artists as a photographer. So there's little opportunities you'll always find if you get yourself kind of proverbially in the door in a particular right. industry. And you could slowly work your, your way up to uh, getting to where you want to be. Key is making, uh, making the most out of the opportunities you get. Ryan and I are also both involved in the professional wrestling world. And one thing that you hear a lot of wrestlers say is you might only get a match for two minutes or you might get a match for 20 minutes, but if you even have one minute, that's one minute you can make the most of your opportunity. And people like Chris Jericho, one of Ryan's favorite wrestlers, uh, preaches that whole concept of, you know, you just take that opportunity and make the most of it and you don't know what can happen. So 
that's obviously you've embraced that whole concept as well. Aurora, you have a thing to share here? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Conrad had mentioned he was making like posters and, and stuff like that, um, like graphic art as well. So he actually sent me a couple. Um, I believe this is one that you've done, Conrad, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, tell us a little bit about this piece here. So actually, as far back as an intern, I was introduced to uh, one of two people I really admired in high school. There's this band in Ontario called Ubiquitous Synergy Seeker, USS. They're pretty big on the alternative charts back in the day, and I, they recently actually put out their last album. Uh, and I got the opportunity to just make some cool graphics for uh, one of the members, the producer's uh, solo career. He goes by Human Kebab, and he makes mixtapes. Uh, for the longest time, he's been doing mixtapes with uh, 102.1 The Edge, where he'd have a little radio segment and uh, essentially DJ together and merge together all his favorite tracks. And this particular poster was uh, for a Halloween episode called This is Halloween. And so they give me a few brief bands and other artists that would be featured within the mixtape. Uh, we did a quick photo shoot and then the rest was uh, Photoshop magic. Nice. Very cool. How much uh, of that did you learn from OCAD? That kind of, those kinds of skills? I would have to say 5% of what I learned in, in terms of this would be OCAD. Uh, most of OCAD was theory. A lot of theory, a lot of art history, which is useful, especially when you're trying to sound knowledgeable. <laughs> Well, it's interesting you say that too, because one of the things I've always regretted about not actually going to school for photography uh, is the art history and the theory and things like that. You can get more experience hands-on, I find, uh, especially in what Aurora and I do working at Henry's where you're dealing with creative people all the time. Um, working with people like Peter McKinnon and having him take two minutes to show me a quick edit thing, uh, I learned way more from just hanging out with somebody like that than I would ever learn from going to school, but I'm missing out on some pretty important things too. So uh, the fact that you went and you got that extra four or 5%, uh, that's the, those are tools that a lot of people don't have. So that's pretty cool too. Well, that's actually, it's funny you should mention Peter McKinnon because he's one, first of all, personal favorite of mine. Oh, really? Interesting. <laughs> but uh, most of the stuff I learned were just browsing through articles and just being really passionate about it. I find school is a good uh, starting point to give you the knowledge of your lack of knowledge. <laughs> and yeah. then from there, you could branch out and even know what to research and learn yourself on your own. Yeah. That's very oh. true. A lot of like my uh, Humber College schooling, there was a lot of like, it was just kind of like exposing me to the world of photography and all the things that I could do with it. Um, but then from there, I learned like, you know, little things, and I was able to do research on my own to do a particular technique or whatever it may be. So, yeah, very good point. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah, funny that uh, you like Peter too. Uh, he's inspired a lot of filmmakers. I know, but I hadn't really thought of it as uh, somebody that would inspire artists in general. I guess he, he's all over the place. I mean, in, in particular for me, it was one uh, I kind of started doing behind the scenes uh, shoots for larger music videos. And it was just like learning small little things like how to use a gimbal. And I never really was a video nerd. It was always the kind of static images or audio. Mm -hmm. So he's kind of been a gateway, gateway drug to the world of cinematography. <laughs> Amazing to work with Pete, to see him do his stuff. Uh, and I think that's the same with any person like 
that word super talent that I used earlier, I, I really only know two people that I would consider to be super talents. And that would be Peter. Just watching him work is so fluid and natural. Uh, I've shot, I've, I've been with him while he shot a couple of his videos for playing cards when he used to work for illusionist.com. And uh, I've been with him for at least two things that he's done for his podcast. But just seeing when you have somebody like that, when you see them work and it's so effortless and they can just read the light and they can read, you have that natural sense of an artist. It's so impressive. And that's what I would consider that super talent where you don't have to think about it. You don't like for me, for example, making an image, I'm, I have to work the scene. I have to sit there and I have to try this angle and try this angle. And I don't have that vision to just say, this is how it should be. Put this here, put this here, boom where Pete could just step into a room and just literally do that. Um, driving to and from a location, he's thinking of the music, he's thinking of the angles and the where the light comes from. So him and, and Navi Noom is another person I consider to be one of those super talents. Um, do you feel you have that sense, that artistic sense where you can just, uh, somebody gives you that idea, like the poster, for example, like how long does it take to come up with the whole outline and the concept for you? Do you find that easy? Is that the easy part, or do you do you struggle with that side of things? Like it's probably maybe both sometimes, I guess. I would say I do have an eye for that, and I definitely have the kind of uh, technical acuity to be uh, doing things on the fly. However, I find oftentimes it's uh, it's a blessing and a curse. Uh, this particular poster was actually done on October 29th. <laughs> <laughs> And it was due October 30th, and of course. I, they, they took uh, about nine hours of my time. And I had a first draft done within the first hour. It was getting all the elements right compositionally in the frame and making sure everything's perfect the way I like it, even when it comes to like the different blend modes and the little elements of blood on his shirt and on his face. So it was like, okay, well, this looks fake. This doesn't look realistic enough, so we're just trying new things. Nice. But when it comes to, like, especially in composition, that's the one thing uh kind of comes naturally. Uh, you said you play an instrument. What do you play? Uh, so I recently graduated from Centennial College for music production and music performance, and uh, my major instrument was guitar. However, uh, coming from a uh, Polish family, Polish parents, I've been playing piano since I was five. Uh, they wanted me to compete in Chopin competitions. Uh, to their despair, I quit at age 13 and picked up a guitar. <laughs> <laughs> but I bet you can still play the piano. Uh, enough for production. I wouldn't consider myself a very good sight reader, but when it comes to chords and uh, reading chord charts, no problem. Beautiful. And so, what was that competition that you mentioned there? Uh, Chopin competition. It's a year annual competition with pretty much uh, people learn most sophisticated pieces done by Chopin, and whoever plays it the most, uh, I guess, flawlessly from a technical perspective, wins. Classic. I'm very piano. uncultured, aren't I, Brian? You know what, Ryan? I'm glad you're doing this podcast, and and it's not a matter of being un uncultured. And, and I think that's a, a huge reason I, I love having guests like Conrad on here. Is there's so much out there we all don't know. There are mm -hmm. so many different styles of music we don't know. There's so many different styles of art we don't know. Um, I I'll, I'll admit, Chopin. I know I'm more of a Mozart fan, and I've listened to Beethoven, and it's given me a headache. And you know, there's certain things that will click and certain things that won't click with people, but to be able to actually play classical piano is such a discipline. My mother's a piano teacher and, uh, you know, I've, I've been around piano and folk music and not the classical side, more the um, uh, Scott Joplin 
you know, that kind of stuff where it's just my mother, my mom gets there and she's playing and they're happy and everybody's, I love it. I love it. I could never do it. I played the drums. I hit things, you know, <laughs> that's, that's my expression. But uh, I love that Ryan is here to experience. And, you know, when Mark is here, he's always on the computer looking things up as we're talking to people and, and learning about this song or that song. And it's, it's just great. I love the fact that we have such a diverse world and we're absorbing that in these uh, podcasts. So Conrad, thank you for bringing up that. I mean, that's something that Ryan is now going to be like, oh, who's Chopin? You know, I got to look into that, right? So, and maybe not just Ryan. Maybe it's all the other people that are listening too. So that's literally why we do this. That's great. Not and no, you're not uncultured. You're you're here and you're learning, and and that's that's it's important. Uh, oh yeah. To to jump to Ryan's point there, I had no idea what the Chopin call. Petition oh. <laughs> the spirit of culture, though, I do have to get running here for uh, to cheer on my Habs. So let's go Canadians, Canadian team in the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> Conrad, it was absolutely wonderful to get to know you. I will let uh, Brian and Aurora steer the rest of this ship. I can't wait to catch the rest of this and learn more about your story. But thank you so much for coming on. And sorry thank for having me so early, guys. No, no worries. Enjoy your game. <laughs> See you, Ryan. See you, Ryan. Uh, I don't know if I can take myself out, to be honest, because I'm still hosting, technically. Oh, oh, are you? No, I am. Oh. Ah, there you go. We can continue. And there were three. Hey, I'm there. back. <laughs> <laughs> that, was that was amazing. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Go ahead, Ryan. D go ahead, Aurora. Uh, so, Conrad, um, I know that um, I'm not sure if you know, but one of the conversations that we kind of get into a little bit more on this podcast is talking about mental health and how uh, mental health uh, kind of feeds into art, um, helping people with, you know, different coping mechanisms, uh, art could be that. Um, I want to know a little bit of that uh, from you. Like, is art kind of a form of coping mechanism? Um, has it helped you through, you know, some tough times and that kind of thing? Maybe it, uh, explain it a little bit about your times. Yeah, has it caused tough times? On the other hand, as well. I remember um, in high school going into the drama club. There was a lot of pros and cons to being a part of that community. Uh, so it could be stressful in itself, and I would retreat to music and art to get away from some of that too. So. Maybe that's part of it too. Yeah. So I'd like to hear a little bit about that. So art has actually, as a whole, or my involvement in it, has kind of always been a double-edged sword. My initial involvement with art was uh, as a way to identify uh, myself and how I relate to the world. Uh, especially in elementary school, uh, a bit of a reference, I was a very, very big kid. Like... The doctor told my mom I need to go on the diet because I'm morbidly obese and I would get teased incessantly by kids <laughs> on oh, the schoolyard because wow. the cool thing was, you know, you're a great soccer player, you're a great runner, you're a great athlete. That was very popular in my elementary school. However, the first thing anyone really noticed about me in a positive light that wasn't in a teasing way was like, you're really good at drawing. Oh, that's really cool. You, you drew there. And that's where it really stemmed from initially, was using it as a mental health coping mechanism. Uh, drawing was always where I found my escape. Now, fast forward to right now, I would say the only mental drawbacks to art is sometimes trying to figure out how to make a living out of it. 
Yeah, I, I don't envy that. <laughs> that. That's why I work at Henry's. <laughs> Definitely. And I feel like COVID has kind of fed into that for a lot of people. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about your experience with your work and um, other creative projects that you're doing during COVID and how that impacted it? Absolutely. Uh, well, COVID definitely had a big impact. Uh, first off, on my company as a mostly touring business, uh, mm. all tours are canceled. So for the past, I'd say, year and a half, I've been uh, the one consistent person coming in to work day in, day out, and kind of trying to navigate the lockdowns, uh, which studios are allowed to be open, uh, canceled shoots, postponed shoots, uh, obviously the gratuitous uh, kind of measures you need to take when you have, let's say, a shoot of 20 people and it's, you know, a 20 person limit and they have a 21st person and, you know, the kind of politics involved with uh, good customer service, but also being safe and following guidelines <laughs> and also navigating, you know, the already difficult, uh, I guess, task of maintaining good client relationships and not tarnishing that, but at the same time, understanding that, okay, let's say I had a full audio recording, audio visual recording of an album. There was a performer, three backup singers, full band. We're gonna do a full live stream of their new up, up and coming album. And that's been indefinitely postponed. I think we're gonna pick up probably in July, but it was just, you know, breaking the news. It's like, oh, well, can't we do this secretly? It's like, well, no, that's, that's not, in my opinion, the right thing to do. Yeah, because you could get in a lot of trouble for that, right? Well, exactly, and it's just navigating those relationships because there's, a, especially in the arts world, a lot of people that are very used to doing things very informally, and it's like, oh, it'll, it'll work out. But then that's kind of where my administrator hat as the like studio manager comes on, and it's like, okay, well, I can't really afford to do that from an administrative perspective because, one, I it's a moral gray area for me personally, but it's also the, if I get caught, like we're liable and I'm going to get in big trouble and collectively the company is going to get in big trouble. Yeah, and you don't want that. definitely. No, not at all. <laughs> and you also want to maintain a certain level of quality too. You can't just wing it and expect it to be up to standard all the time. Yeah, absolutely. But on the other side of things, I know that your company just like launched a website and a social media page and uh, a bunch of other stuff. So I guess COVID had kind of uh, maybe uh, gave them time to kind of work on this stuff or uh, was this one of the reasons why the rollout was, you know, just today or a few days ago? It's definitely the original rollout plan was for April. And I was like, well, how can we announce uh, that we're starting to work on some new spaces when those spaces are going to be allowed to be opened? But also I think COVID was a catalyst and a trigger to push for these spaces. Uh, as I mentioned, the company I work for is mostly a touring business and the studio side of things has to some extent been not an afterthought, but not the, not the main moneymaker. Now with COVID, uh, the push has now been, okay, let's really try to reassess what we're doing here in the studio world and try to figure out how we could rearrange things, rebrand things, build new things to make this work and make it a moneymaker. So, you know, if God forbid something like this happens 10 years down the road, we're prepped for it. We're not scrambling. Yeah. Stuck in the dark. Yeah. I hate to say it, but that's probably a reality of the world we're living in these days is you have to be prepared for things like this for sure. Definitely. Unfortunately, um, live streaming, uh, are you guys doing where you get people together, uh, bands and musicians and so on and doing live streams? Like I know you said you postponed the one project till July, but 
are you, is this something else that you do right now where you have all the equipment and you have to, like I see Nuno Betancourt, for example, doing all these live stream things where he's playing and there's a drummer in diff different places. And is that something that you're involved in is putting all that kind of stuff together? Absolutely. Uh, I actually played a somewhat of a pivotal role in a recent series we did with uh, TD Bank. It was called Play the Parks. And then there was another series we did with TD Bank. Uh, what was it called? Connected Music, the Connected Music series. Now, normally, these are all events that happen live uh, in, in sponsorship with uh, the Young Business District, I believe it's called. I'm, I would have to look at it. Look at it but, <laughs> but it's usually uh, one of the companies we work uh, work with very closely as uh, Canada's mu music incubator, and they're a nonprofit where we try to promote new artists, and we run workshops, programs, and they're usually full blown productions, full blown concerts. Whether it's Young and Dundas, whether it's uh, Christie Pitts Park, and this year we went digital, so a lot of that was pre recorded. And then you know, quote unquote, live afterwards. Interesting. So definitely, there was a whole way of navigating and figuring out how to do live concerts without doing live concerts. How stressful <laughs> was that for you? Uh, pretty stressful, I'd say. I, I wasn't directly involved in all of the recording and cinematography, only partially. But even simple things like headers, uh, intros, and editing everything together—that was a uh, very stressful. That was all. <laughs> How about even getting the parts to make it happen? I'm sure you probably ran into delays in getting, like, for example, Aurora and I, when we first were in lockdown, we started doing live streams and we wanted to get mixers and we wanted to get this and make it look that way. And it's it just nothing was available. Nothing was even out there. Were you all equipped already for this stuff or did was that a, a whole process for you? So we were lucky enough that. Uh, depending on the artist uh, for the Play the Park series, it was mostly us. We already had the audio equipment and we hired a crew that had their own equipment for video. So it was very self-contained and we'd pretty much uh, do our research and get venues to kind of jump on board. Be like, okay, we're allowed to have two performers. If it was a full band, okay, some instances we have to do a stripped down acoustic version because we can't have that many people. It was a very bare bones crew. Uh, other instances, such as the Connected Music Series, the whole point was to promote uh, people's own cultural heritages and to promote uh, places that are special to them. So a lot of the venues were venues they were familiar with, and they brought on their own crews. Uh, that's why I was only involved in a limited way. There was a few artists that just didn't have the facilities, didn't have the budget for a crew, right. and so forth. So that's where I was involved. But really definitely, it was it was it was very piecemeal, and what was difficult about it was to take all these things that seemingly are piecemeal and putting it into a cohesive show. Yeah, yeah, really. And I, oh man, that must have been just different—a different world every day for you yeah. going through all that. Very, very different. Interesting. Very cool. Thanks so much for sharing so much about um, your work and that kind of thing. I want to hear if you're maybe doing any side projects of your own outside of work, because I know that for quite some time you were doing uh, quite a bit of music um, and, you know, other art pieces of your own different, um, you know, paintings and that kind of thing. Have you been working on anything like that lately? 
Uh, absolutely. I've, I've definitely taken uh, some, I guess, extra clients of my own. Uh, there's a gentleman I was connected with who's putting together a album and he's kind of doing album release very differently than the traditional album cycle. Like normally you record an album, it's all pieced together, you mix, master it, put it out into the world, there it is, and then you tour. Now this gentleman has decided to release an album as singles and then still have it as a cohesive body. It's, it's a conceptual album, but each release, that one release has been pre-recorded and between releases, he records a new song. Everything's pre-produced, everything's written, but it's just a very different distribution method. Mm. And uh, where I That's come so into cool. this was, uh, I was supposed to actually do a music video for him back in December. And then our uh, most strict lockdown hit. So that was completely kind of postponed. And then after it was postponed, it actually got canceled because he still wanted to release music and keep the days consistent. So we decided to do something very, very different. And uh, we did an album intro and an album outro video. And I actually believe I did send you the uh, album intro video. The oh. very oh. brief conceptual uh, kind of a prelude to what to expect from the album. And well, the, we can theme, the, the themes of the album were colors. So it's kind of a play on this very sterile world. But then when you uh, lift a vinyl, or when you listen to music, music is kind of this portal, this gateway to this world of color. Okay, it's like this short, like 15 second clip here. Uh, I think it's 15 seconds. Uh, no, it was, I believe I sent you a uh, YouTube link. Oh, you sent me on the YouTube link. Oh, yes. Okay. Well, what we can do is we can splice that into this when we uh, edit the video afterwards. So if uh, Aurora, you just make sure I get that YouTube link, I'll yeah okay i'll post it in the group i'll be able to rip that and put that in that's awesome thank you so much cool and as as for projects of my own i actually uh recently paid way too much money on an audio production setup i <laughs> uh, got a new apollo unit got a new production keyboard uh spade once again wait spend like, <laughs> way too much way too much money on a new mac computer and and finally excited to just do what I love and enjoy and start producing music for myself. Nice. That's exciting. That's really That's cool. Very exciting. That's an investment in your future though. So yeah, it's a lot of money, but it'll pay off. Definitely. Fingers crossed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Aurora, what do you think? Are we at that point where we should find out what that awesome challenge is? Yeah, I definitely think that's a, a great point to be at. But before we do, do you have any last questions for Conrad? I'm just uh, I'm just very impressed. I, I can't say I have a lot of questions. You've you've answered the questions I've written down as we were going. Um, I'm just very impressed that at your age you're able to uh, achieve such such a great role, uh, such a career that you can really enjoy and be passionate about. Uh, you were very definite about what you enjoy and what you wanted to do, and that's impressive. I, I you know maybe your parents weren't super um, pushing you to get into music, but the, what they've done and what they have taught you is a way to be disciplined and a way to uh, stick to things that you enjoy. And, and uh, that's, that's impressive. So congratulations for working and getting yourself into where you, where you're at. I'm not going to give your parents credit for where you're at because you worked for that yourself, but um, I know the influence that parents could have and they've obviously encouraged you to be a good student and that got you to be an engineer. I mean, my brother's an engineer and, 
there's no way I can have that kind of dedication to stick to the things the way he has done. So that's where I'm bringing that experience from to give you the credit. So well done. Well done. Nice to meet you. Well, thank you. Thank you. And I just wanted to, uh, first off, thank you for having me on the show. And second off, uh, kind of nod to a fellow, fellow drummer. <laughs> oh, you play the drums? Mm. I wouldn't what? say I play drums in a professional capacity. It's more of a, it's a, it's a fun, it's a fun venture that whenever I have a moment to just blow off steam, that's the drums are where it's done. Good for you. Good for you. What a, what a great way to do it. I don't have a kit that I could play. My kit's in the crawl space. So I haven't been able to play a, a kit since, oh man, I rented a, a room at the jam spot here in town and, uh, sat there and I recorded myself with two GoPros for the first time playing in a decade. And oh, it felt so good. I got to do that again. I have to do that again. So good for you for doing that too. Awesome. That's Drummer's cool. roll. I have one question before we get into our last questions. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what are a couple artists that inspire you? It could be music. It could be like physical art, whatever. So the artist that really got me into art and it's like, I mean, definitive painting would be Salvador Dali. I love surrealist art. I love just the concepts behind surrealist art. And then what really got me into photorealism and really being like, oh, this is a thing. People do want to push themselves when it comes to technical boundaries would be Chuck Close. He used to do huge scale photorealistic portraits. And an uh, Austrian artist named Gottfried Helmwein, uh, kind of a political artist, but also uses photorealism, I'd actually even say hyperrealism as a medium. Now, more recently, I'd say my personal role model would be uh, Max Martin. Have any of you guys heard of Max Martin? No. And um, that is only through what you wrote. Uh, I'm going to shut up and let you finish exactly <laughs> what you're going to say. <laughs> and that's precisely uh, why he's a role model of mine. I mean, especially in the music world and especially recently, this whole concept of a celebrity has almost overshadowed the concept of a musician, the concept of a producer, the concept of someone who's passionate about the craft. So true. So Max Martin is actually a Swedish American record producer. He started with, uh, not that I'm a big fan of them, but uh, the Backstreet Boys. And he's had, I believe, 31 number one hits. Uh, he's number two after Paul McCartney, who has 33 number one hits. And I just, I think it's, great and it's something uh admirable where you can gain so much success and be so dedicated to your craft but then still keep it a secret you know still it's kind of the best the, exactly it's the best of both worlds <laughs> awesome very cool very very cool um in the spirit of that we have two kind of like final questions at the end of every episode um so uh what is your jam What's a favorite song that you love listening to that kind of gets you going um, either work or, you know, just gets you excited about things in general? Uh, what's that song? Ah, oh, what's that song? This is probably a, bit of a guilty, Boys. No. guilty pleasure <laughs> of mine, especially considering uh, my heart truly lies in the rock emo alternative world. So anything that's emo, alternative, rock, uh, even classic rock, is my jam, but my recent guilty pleasure jam is uh, Dua Lipa, Don't Start Now. That bass groove is infectious and it will make you happy. It will force you to be happy. It'll force you to move and it'll kick your butt in the 
beginning of the day when you need the kick like the most. It's coffee and that song. <laughs> nice. I, nice. I believe Steph McCann said Dua Lipa as well. Yeah, I think that was one of the. She said BTS first. That's and true. Then, That's true. And then I think she said Dua Lipa later. Yeah. So, yeah. Second time I've heard that. I'm. I've yeah. still like. I, I think I was listening to the radio in the car and I saw it, but it, it never. I'm old. I guess you could say I don't really keep up with a lot of the music at work. We still listen to like a repeat of eighties rock music. So <laughs> I, I, I love the, the what's your jam question. Cause I'm learning a lot about different uh, artists that way. It's great. I mean, that's, that's honestly seventies, eighties gold, golden era for me. Uh, my jam would be Depeche Mode and Pink Floyd all the way. <laughs> we do get along very well. <laughs> that's awesome. Very cool. All right. Um, and then uh, the other one would be, uh, what is your tool of the trade? What is something that you always need um, to help you be creative, um, either in music production or art, or maybe a little bit of both? Um, what's that thing that you always need with you? I would say my computer, I am addicted. <laughs> and it's not even to browse, it's not to scroll. I'll go away for a weekend in an RV and I'll still bring my computer without internet access and I'll force myself to draw something with a Wacom tablet or to just try to create something. That's kind of uh, a good pastime. Even if I don't do it professionally, I can't get away from it. I can't get away from my computer. That's awesome. Very cool. It's a cool piece of technology to have. And the computer, I guess, would be extremely multi-purpose for both um, like art making, like drawing and that kind of thing, as well as like music production and just music in general. So. It's amazing what you can do with this tiny little fold down, little <laughs> pick it up and go kind of thing these days. Crazy, I'm, I'm picking it up and going right now. <laughs> there it goes. That's, I, my whole world is based around my, my MacBook. I've had this since 2013 and uh, so far so good. Definitely. Um, so, uh, at the end of every episode, we ask our, uh, current guest, uh, to, uh, give a challenge to our viewers, um, something to hopefully inspire them, um, challenge them, um, over like the next week or whatever it may be. Um, so what is your challenge to our audience? Go make art. And I don't mean go start a new project. I mean, go into your big drawer of 30, 40, 50 unfinished projects, pull one out arbitrarily and just finish it, commit to it. Uh, especially with my background in photorealist painting, I've become a perfectionist and uh, I've that's kind of become more of a curse than a blessing at the end of the day. And what I've learned doing art for money and what I've learned doing art for deadlines is sometimes just completing something is better than delaying it for years and years and never completing it, regardless whether the result is perfect or not. You learn in the imperfections. I love this piece of advice. It's very true to you. I, I do remember in high school, you're so critical of yourself, um, creating these photorealistic paintings and feeling like it was never done. It was never finished and getting to the point where maybe you had made a change that you didn't like or whatever it may be um, because you were such a perfectionist about that. And I, I love this piece of advice, um, even for myself as well. Like there's so many like unfinished 
photography edits that I haven't done and, and that kind of thing. So I'm definitely going to try that out myself. Well, my first thought was that movie 30 that I started, I shot a hundred gigabytes of video uh, at a abandoned prisoner of war camp in Bowmanville and nobody can get into anymore because it's like completely, you're not allowed in there at all anymore. And I've got this footage and I made a 15 minute like short from it, but it's just not finished and it's horrible and I got to get back to it. So I'm going to take your advice. I'm going to find those video files and dig in, dig in. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Best case scenario, you have an awesome finished product. Worst case scenario, you learn something in the process. Yeah, I have a horrible finished product. Either way. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thanks so much, Conrad, for being on. It was really nice catching up with you and actually getting to know what you do for your job. Um, uh, I think that's, uh, you've really achieved quite a lot. And I love that you're working in the field that you love, um, what you've studied for. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just amazing. So thanks so, so much for being on. Um, and uh, yeah. Absolutely. Appreciate you spending the time with us tonight. Uh, and, and good luck in your future, man. You've got such a bright future with what you're up to these days and what you've done already. Uh, I'm going to be keeping tabs. I can't wait to see what you do next. Well, thanks for having me. This was a blast and uh, there was some good laughs and I honestly look forward to seeing this episode. Uh, we'll definitely get you the link as soon as it goes live for sure. Definitely. Definitely. Um, right before we leave, uh, we usually talk uh, a bit about some of the uh, charities we support um, today because it's just me and Brian, um, I guess it's the same one. Um, so uh, at Henry's, um, I'm very involved um, and so is Brian, uh, uh, but I'm a part of two of the committees for uh, the new Henry's Foundation. It's a charity for mental health. Um, essentially it's fully not-for-profit. All the pro uh, proceeds go directly to Kids Help Loan, Jack.org, CAMH, and other Canadian mental health institutions in um, Nova Scotia, Quebec, and Vancouver as well, um, which is really great. Um, it's an awesome cause. A lot of people right now are struggling even more so than they were before. Like Kids Help Phone Alone had seen a 300% increase in calls uh, since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, so it's a really great cause to support. Um, another way to support the Henry's Foundation is we have a social media campaign called the Uncaptured Moments Campaign, which I think is a really unique idea. Um, the whole idea behind it is sharing um, a photo or a video about kind of about what mental health means to them, but sharing it in a photo that maybe isn't showing their best self or whatever it may be. Because on Instagram, we're always showing the most polished, um, you know, best day of my life, best day kind of picture. Um, and the whole idea of this campaign is showcasing kind of the opposite of that. The reality of it the reality um because a lot of people um i know quite a few people actually who you know when they're looking um even myself looking through social media and sometimes get feel a little discouraged or if they're having a bad day they start comparing themselves to others so uh, hopefully the social media campaign will help reach out to more people and um you know uh, make them feel a little bit better make them feel like they're not alone that it's okay to not be okay so. One of the things I've appreciated the most about this uh, Henry's Foundation in general is the conversations I've had with customers in the store. 
Yeah. You know, just hearing that I'm not alone in the stresses that I feel and being paranoid about customers coming in and giving COVID or the attitudes that we get and all the stressors that are coming from all these different angles. Uh, hearing that I'm not the only person who's going through that means a lot. And having those conversations and, and getting rid of the stigma of mental health has been um, a passion project, I guess, for Aurora and myself. And uh, it, shows like this definitely help, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Exactly. Anyway, thank you again for listening in or watching the video and uh, really hope you enjoyed. Thank you again, Conrad, for being on. I really, really appreciate it. I know you have a very busy work schedule. So, um, yeah, thanks and uh, have a great day, great night. <laughs> thanks. Bye. Thanks again, Conrad. Thanks, for all. Good to thank see you. you. And take care, everybody. See you all next week. See you all next week. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Ooh, 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 ooh.